Well, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for being uh, the church and bringing it into this room. Uh, if you're new, uh, you're coming into the middle of some uh, pretty awesome things that the Lord is doing in our midst as we move into this building and the things that God is wanting to do in us. Uh, on a broader level, as a, a, at a universal level as a church, uh, we are in this season of Lent as we prepare for uh, Passion Week and Good Friday and, and Easter, and this is the season that we find ourselves in, and, and we're looking at different promises that God has given us uh, in Scripture, and today I want to talk about promises that are specifically related to something that we all face. For me, when I, uh, I grew up in the church, and growing up in church as an elementary school stu- student, uh, Christianity was pretty easy for me. I went to church every Sunday, I sang a few songs that were pretty cool, they had motions to it. I did some crafts, I listened to a Bible story, and the biggest temptation in my Christian life as an elementary school student was when the offering plate was going by, uh, there would be temptation to take some money out of it instead of putting some money into it. That was the biggest challenge for me as an elementary school student growing up in the church. But once I hit middle school, things began to change. And all of a sudden, I was bombarded, almost ambushed by a litany of temptations that entered as soon as I hit middle school and, and, and puberty is starting to kick in and, and hormones are beginning to rage and these questions of identity, who am I? Who am I and, and who has God created me to be? Uh, where do I find my sense of worth and where do I find my purpose in life? And as a middle schooler, so much of our identity is wrapped up in our peer group and the people around us. And so my identity was lost and found in the way people responded to me as a person. It was about popularity. It was about trying to make people laugh. And it was all about trying to gain the approval of people, even if it meant doing something that I knew was against every value that I grew up believing in. It meant making fun of people in order to get people to laugh, in order that people would think that I was fun and that I was funny. And I would go to sleep thinking, wow, these people like me, but at the same time, I grew up beginning to realize there was this divide. People like me, but I don't like the person that I'm becoming. And then as I got to high school, the temptations came and even greater, with just a greater force against me as they were pounding at my heart. Temptations, again, to compromise my identity and to compromise the things that I grew up in church believing for the sake of the temptation to be accepted, to be popular. All of a sudden, there was girls, there was drugs, there was alcohol, there's all kinds of things that I'd never been exposed to before, and they were confronting me, and I had to make some very difficult choices. And then I got to college, and this whole new world of seeming freedom opened up. There was no accountability. There was nobody to tell me where to go, where to be, what time I needed to be in bed, what time I needed to be in my dorm room, nobody telling me to go to classes. And all of these things continued to attack me, and it doesn't stop after college. I remember talking to people, and this is a very common conversation, but I had this conversation a few months ago with a fellow who had just gotten into a relationship with a girl. He loved the Lord. He said he grew up in church, wanted to honor God with all of his life. And he said it completely like boggled my mind and it ruined me when two months into the relationship, I just began having these deep and severe temptations to cross certain boundaries with my girlfriend as it relates to areas of lust and purity. And he said, I always told myself that I was going to be faithful to God. I always said I'm going to be pure. I always said I'm not going to cross any lines. But a couple months into it, these things came at me in a measure I've never before experienced. And I feel so guilty and I feel so ashamed at myself. 
I feel like I had no other choice but to give in to the flesh and to give in to the temptations. And then I hear of another person who just starts working and a few months into work asking, how's it going? How's your job going? And he says, you know what? All of a sudden, after growing up as in, in a, a lower middle class home, I start working, I start getting these paychecks, and for the first time, I'm seeing more money in one check than I've ever seen in my life. And I always said that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous with people, I'm going to honor God with my finances, but I can't help but think that I failed because the deepest temptation of my heart as a working professional is to just want to spend it on me, 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 and to get more, 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 and to think that it's all mine, mine, mine. He didn't say it in those words, but that's the temptation. And he just felt so overcome by that. I don't know what to do with these temptations that confront me and come at me so fast and so furious and feel like there's no other option but for me to succumb to it and to give in. You ever feel like that? Have you ever felt like that? This, this temptations that come at you and you feel bombarded by them, sometimes ambushed, assaulted by temptation, and you don't know what to do with it, and you feel like there's no other recourse but to just lay down and give in to these temptations. You ever felt like that? I understand what you're feeling. Because almost on a date, well, certainly on a daily basis, I face temptation, and probably on a daily basis, I give in to temptation at some point or another. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to live that way? Not that we didn't have to live in a world of temptation, but wouldn't it be great if we never had to give in to temptation? Wouldn't it be great if we could look back at our lives at the end of the day and say, you know what, I overcame today. I was victorious. I didn't lay down and give in to temptation. I stood firm for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I did not compromise my morals and my values. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could live like that? What if there was a promise in Scripture that tells us that this is your inheritance as a child of God. Oh my God, you will not delay. Your promise is true. My God will come through always. What if we really believed that there was a promise in the pages of Scripture that told us that we don't need to fall down in the face of temptation every time, but we can rise and we can be victorious? I want to read that promise, and it's going to come to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The promise is in verse 13, but I want to read uh, verses 1 through 13 to just kind of find it in its context. Because what we see here is something very practical to life. In fact, the entire letter, 1 Corinthians, was written by an apostle named Paul. He was a church pastor, and he was a church starter. So five years before he wrote this letter, he started this church in a city called Corinth, And after a year and a half of raising up that church, he had to leave. And then within five years, he began to hear reports that there were all of these things that were happening in the church. There was division. There was fighting. There was temptation. There was all kinds of gossip, sexual immorality. And so he writes this letter to address a lot of these practical issues. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, to see the challenge and the comfort of the promise. This is the word of God. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, 
God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is God's word. So what would the Apostle Paul say to people like me and people like you who struggled with temptation and felt like in this assault of temptation against my heart, I had no choice but to give in? Here's what Paul would say. The first thing he would say is that temptation, this is not not your first thought here, but the first thing that Paul would say according to this passage is that temptation is not the same thing as sin. You talk to people who say, you know what, I'm in, my, in this relationship with my girlfriend, we're not married yet, but I'm so tempted to sin. I'm so tempted to cross lines. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with my friends, and for whatever reason, the things that they do as they offer me weed or as they offer me a drink and I'm underage, these temptations are so strong and so real, and I feel so guilty that these things are assailing my heart. The first thing that Paul would say is, hey, listen, the temptation is not the same thing as the sin. Okay, because we're tempted with these things does not mean that we have already crossed the line. Because Adam and Eve were tempted by a serpent with a fruit even before they sinned. The temptation is not the same thing as a sin. In fact, in Hebrews 4.15, it says that Jesus was tempted just as we were, but was without sin. He's saying don't equate the temptation itself with the sin. And then he goes on to say, but here's your reality. Just as every single one of us are going to be tempted, there are certain decisions that you have to make and certain promises that you need to hold to. So what is Paul saying, and how do we find strength in the face of the temptations that come upon us every day of our lives? The first thing, and this is where you you can begin to write if you're a writer, the first thing, you will be tempted, and you will be prone to falling. Okay, You will be tempted... And you will be prone to falling. In verses 1 through 5, Paul goes through the history of Israel and he talks about these people of God. And he says, these aren't just some average Joe Schmo followers of God. He's saying these people are ones who saw the miracles of God. So it talks, about, it talks about the cloud and they passed through the sea. If you remember uh, in the Old Testament, if you see the prince of Egypt, there was a sea that parted and the people of God passed through it. He's saying the people that fell into sin were the ones who saw these things, the ones who experienced these things, who walked through these things, and they experienced these miracles of God, and still they fell into sin. Here's what he's saying. Temptation is going to come to every single one of us, and the tricky thing that we have to remember is that we are all prone to falling. 
And so what he's doing here in verse 6 and verse 11, he's telling us that these things were written to be warnings to us, to warn us to be careful, because if we think we're above sin, he says, be careful, because you might fall. See, this is why we study history, because the lessons of history give us important lessons for our lives today. I, uh, some of you may recall hearing this before, but... A foolish person never learns from the mistakes of the past. A smart person will learn from his or her own mistakes, but a wise person will learn from the mistakes of other people. So think about that. According to that definition of what it means to be wise and foolish and smart, where do you fall in? Because here's what a lot of people, especially young people, think. They think, you know what, I understand. I hear the stories. I know what the Bible says. I know what other people, what happened to other people, but it will be different with me. It will be different with me. I can handle that temptation. I can handle the lure of whatever it is. I can deal with these things. It will be different with me. That's what a lot of people think, and those are the famous last words of many people who fall into temptation. He's saying, you are prone to falling. Every single one of us, it doesn't matter who we are from the most mature Christian to the least mature Christian. He's saying, you have to understand. And what are the lessons he's saying here? These are the ways in which the people of God in the Old Testament times were tempted. He said they were tempted because their hearts were set on idols. He says they were tempted because of sexual immorality. Right? They were tempted because they tested the Lord and because they grumbled against the Lord. Aren't these things that tempt us on a daily basis in our world, in our day, in our culture? You turn on any uh, um, uh, award show, whether MTV Music Awards or the Oscars or the, you know, whatever awards, any TV show, these are the things that you're going to see on full blast in front of us. Right? These are the things he's saying be careful about. As I read, if I can just add to this, when I read the Old Testament, you've heard me say this before, three things that I constantly see as things that trip up the people of God. One, it's when other gods begin to creep into the lives of the people of God, and they begin to be led astray by friends who worship other gods. The second thing that we see a lot in Scripture is its relationships with the opposite gender. Constantly has tripped up a good man and a good woman. Relationships with the opposite gender. Immorality in the areas of, uh, and, uh, of sexual purity. And then a third thing that we constantly see is when the people of God did not heed the wisdom and the advice of those who are more mature or those who are older. See that all throughout the Old Testament. See that all throughout the Scriptures. So if you're in our youth ministry, you understand we're part of an intergenerational congregation. The older folks who are mature in faith, as well, you know, wherever we are, and these people have been given as a gift from God to us to lead us and to guide us. You know, how many times have you seen people, you, you, you heard about some scandal or some great uh, role model who fell into sin and fell into scandal, and you're devastated by it? Here's what Paul is saying. Don't be surprised, because all of us are prone to falling. Garrison, uh, Garrison Keillor, he said, scandal is nothing more than the reminder that every, more, every uh, hero is simply nothing more than a mortal, just like us. Just, just shows the humanity of every hero that we have ever given our hero worship to. And we're all prone 
to failing, and we're all prone to falling. And he says in verse 12, if you think, especially if you think you're standing firm, to the person who thinks, I'm doing okay, to the person who thinks, you know what, I used to struggle with that, but no more. Isn't that why every Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or whatever it is anonymous, you never say, I've overcome that. But even if you had your last drink was 30 years ago, you still say, my name is DL and I am an alcoholic. Because you know in your heart of hearts that any second we're prone to falling. And sometimes, many times, temptation comes strongest when we feel spiritually strongest. A lot of times we think, you know what, I'm doing so well with God. I just came back from a mission trip. I just came back from a marriage weekend. I just came back from, from a retreat, and I'm, my, my faith is stronger than ever. That's when we are most susceptible. These old grandmas would always tell me as I was beginning this journey of ministry, they'd always say, you know what, uh, they would say in Korean, humble heade. You always have to be humble. Always have to be humble. Because temptation comes to everyone, and we are all prone to falling. It's the first thing that we see, the first thought that Paul would bring out to us. And it comes to all of us, and we're all prone to failing. Second thing that we see, temptation, right? You will be tempted, and every temptation comes with a price tag. Every temptation comes with a price tag. He says, again, be careful. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you're not careful, temptation will cause you to fall, and there's going to be a price that you pay. Earlier this week, I was reading a story to one of our kids. Um, They wanted to uh, read from the Princess Storybook Treasury. So uh, I said, okay, Elijah, go ahead and pick whichever story you want Daddy to read to you. And so he picked the story of Snow White. And so as I was reading the story of Snow White, I realized, man, it's been a long time since I read this story in its entirety, and there's a lot of details that I forgot. But the story of Snow White, for those of you who are like me and you forgot the story, uh, Snow White has these beautiful parents, but her mother passes away. And so her dad marries another woman who's this evil, mean, vain stepmother to Snow White. And so every day she would look in this magic mirror and she would say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the magic mirror would say, you, whatever your name is, you, stepmother, evil stepmother, you are the fairest of them all. But as Snow White began to grow and mature, she grew into this beautiful young lady. And so one day, as the stepmother looked in the mirror and said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror said, Snow White, your stepdaughter. And so this stepmother was angry and furious that someone had taken her throne. And so she ordered the huntsman to take Snow White into the woods and to kill her. So the huntsman takes Snow White into the woods and realizing how beautiful she is, says, I could not possibly do this to you. Run, go away, or else we'll both get killed. And so Snow White runs away into the woods and she finds this cottage where it just so happens that these seven little dwarves live. And they're surprised to see her as she's surprised to see them. And they say, what is it that you want? She said, I just need a place to live. They said, okay, we've got to go working, but you can stay at our house. And she said, okay, that's a great idea. Just watch the house, but here's the one rule, one rule. Don't let anyone into the house. It's the only thing that they say. Let nobody 
into the house. And so she says, okay, and then hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work, they go. And as she's home alone, her stepmother dresses up as a beggar selling ribbon and lace. And she knocks on the door, and Snow White, knowing that there's a warning, don't let anyone in, gets tempted by the beauty of the lace and the ribbon. And besides, the story says, the woman looked harmless. And so she opens the door, lets the lady in, and she says, these are beautiful. I would like them. And so the evil stepmother says, I will tie them on you. And she ties it so tight that Snow White passes out. Stepmother thinks she's dead, and she leaves. And Snow White realizes that there's a price to pay for every temptation that she gives into. But she gets up. She doesn't die to the chagrin of the evil stepmother. And so stepmother's looking at the magic mirror, and she finds out that Snow White is alive. And so she says, I'm going to kill her once and for all. So she dresses up as an apple saleswoman, right? Not the computer, but the fruit. And she takes a basket of apples, and she knocks on the door, and she says, look at these juicy, red, delicious apples. And they look so good, but little does Snow White know that they have been laced with poison. And so after one bite of the apple, Snow White falls dead. It's interesting, isn't it, how these fairy tales paint pictures of biblical truths. The temptation comes. It looks so appealing. It actually, in fact, looks harmless, but there's always a price to pay. And I think we fall into temptation in that way a lot, don't we? We look at, well, it looks harmless. What will just one time doing it do to me? Oh, it doesn't look so bad. In fact, it looks so beautiful. It looks so wonderful. It looks so awesome. Just one piece of the forbidden fruit, even though the warnings were given. Don't let anyone come in. It's not just that there's a price to pay with temptation, but can I break it down a little bit? When I first moved down to Orlando in 2001, I came down with my friend Hank, we took a class at the, at the seminary. But one of the things we did when we would get, we would get into the hotel, and Hank would, have a, he would bust out a bunch of brochures of things to do in Orlando. And he said, all right, DL, here it is. Okay, I want you to pick three of these things. We're going to do three of these things during our time in Orlando. There's things like uh, we could go to Wonderworks. We could go to a, a, a mystery dinner, a murder mystery theater show. We could go to Island Adventure Disney, whatever we wanted to do. He said, just pick these. Pick three of them. So one of the things we ended up doing was going to uh, Universal Studios Islands Adventure. And I said, hey, Hank, um, how much do these tickets cost? And he's like, well, first of all, uh, church is going to... Uh, we were on staff at the church. Church is going to cover everything, but... Uh, even better, these tickets to Universal were free. I was like, free? How did you get free tickets to Universal Studios? You know this if you've lived in Orlando long enough. You drive along the touristy areas, and there are signs that say, free tickets to Disney or Universal. And so he saw one of those signs, and we, he stopped into a place, and he said, all I need to do is sit in a 60-minute timeshare presentation, vacation home presentation, and we get these tickets for free. I said, okay, that's awesome. And so when it was time for that presentation, Hank said, DL, you stay at the hotel and rest, and I'll go. I'll, do, I'll be back. It's 60-minute presentation. I'll be back in uh, 90 minutes. 
I said, all right, that's cool. And I was waiting, and I was waiting, and I was waiting. I was so lonely. He was gone for an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. We almost missed our return flight out of Orlando back to Virginia because he was taking so long. And then finally he came back, and I was like, it wasn't 60 minutes, was it? He said, no, it was 60 minutes. But here's the thing. The van that came to pick me up at my hotel to take me to the presentation had to stop by 10 other hotels and pick up 10 other people en route to go into that presentation. And then once I got to the presentation, before that 60-minute presentation started, they gave us all these uh, like muffins and donuts and made us mingle with people for like 45 minutes before that 60 minutes started. <clears throat> so I said, so what happened? He's like, I bought a timeshare. It's like, what in the world are you doing? Here's the nature of temptation and sin. It takes you further than you were willing to go. It costs you a whole lot more than you're willing to pay, and it keeps you a whole lot longer than you had planned to stay. There's always a price tag when it comes to temptation, and you know this. I don't need, you to, I don't need to tell you this for you to know that, but I think we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught a lot of times. There's always a price when it comes to giving in to temptation. And so what do we have to do? Uh, we have to understand every time we go into situations, our mind has to already be made up. So every year before our senior class, high school senior class graduates and goes to college, we have a senior class retreat. And we say, let's talk about so what, are the, what are the convictions upon which, what are the, what are the bedrock convictions upon which you're going to build your life as you go into college? Because if you leave it to that time, when you're in college, it's going to be too late for you to make those decisions on the fly because the temptation is going to be so strong against your life. That's why I talk to people before they get into dating relationships and say, you've got to set some very clear boundaries before you begin. And the people who come to me having told me that they've fallen into sexual sin and crossed over certain lines are typically the people who did not set boundaries beforehand. Because when it gets to that moment in time when you're alone in a dark room, it's too late to put on the brakes. You're already going down that, that mountainside without any brakes on. And it's very hard to steer that ship the other way. You've got to decide in your mind. This is what every financial expert will tell you. If you're trying to manage your money, and instead of your money directing you where to go, you direct your money and tell your money where to go, the first thing they'll always tell you is don't shop if you don't have a game plan in mind. If you don't need to buy anything, then don't go shopping. Don't go window shopping because you'll always end up getting something because it was a good deal. They say, here's one of the best ways to cut down on your spending. Don't go on Groupon, Living Social, these websites, Amazon or eBay, if you don't have something in mind that you need, because there will always be a deal that's worth getting. If you don't go into the shopping mall or into your online portal... I, I had a friend, it's kind of shifting gears a little bit, I had a friend named Sam in Virginia, my best friend in Virginia, and uh, everybody loved him. He was the most popular guy. Uh, guys and gals loved him. He was great with the guys because he was a man's man. He was a firefighter, rugby player, played football quarterback for his high school football team. Uh, but the ladies loved him also because he was, just, he was good with ladies and he was friendly and he had two sisters, very, uh, very savvy. But one of the things that uh, whenever people would go in, uh, to different places to hang out, Right? It's a Christmas party, or it's a work party, or it's some kind of a gathering where we've got to meet all these new people, or we've got to mingle. Uh, girls always like taking Sam with them. Because he was very good conversationally, but every time he was there also, if 
Uh, one of our sisters was caught talking to somebody that she didn't like or that was annoying her, that was putting her in an awkward situation. All she needed to do was give a look to Sam, and Sam would come along and he'd say, what's up? And then he would, he would rescue her from that situation. He would say, yo, yo, somebody wants to talk to us. We got to go right now. And then he would get her out of that situation. And they'd be walking away from that awkward guy, and she'd be saying, thank you so much, man. I was waiting for you to come. He's like, I was watching you. I was watching you. As soon as you give me the look, I'm there, and I get you out of it. This is what God is saying. He was a 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a way out for people when they were in a difficult situation. What God is saying is that when you're in that situation where you don't know what to do, God promises that there will always be a way out. There will always be a way out. You need to find it and you need to run to the nearest exit. It's the way it was with Joseph, right? You remember Joseph in the Bible when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him? He said, man, even if it means running with my, all I've got on are my boxers, I'm going to run out because I'm not going to sin against my master or against my God. Right? That was a decision that he made in his heart to do. Right? You read through all the people in Scripture who are able to stand up against temptation. They had resolved in their minds. Daniel, when he was thrown into the den of lions, he resolved not to defile himself with the king's food so that he could honor the Lord God, right? We have to make these decisions in our heart. And when God gives us that opening, we've got to hit that whole heart because it's not going to be there forever. And you need to decide in your heart the kind of person that you're going to be because there's always a price tag that comes with temptation. I don't know if you, you watch a show called Duck Dynasty. I don't watch it, but there's a, apparently a character on there, a girl named Sadie Robertson, and she put out this video, uh, video blog, this vlog, when she got into this relationship with a guy, an older sister shared this uh, simple thing with her. And she said it saved her so much pain. She said, it's this five-second rule. Basically, she's saying, whenever you're put in a situation of temptation, remember the five-second rule. Right? For five seconds, just kind of separate yourself from that situation and think, what do I really want to do in this situation? Next thing you know, they're going to come looking for me too. You can come looking for me. They're going to come looking for me. And then the movie fades out, and it says, a couple days later, Doughboy, in fact, was murdered. Trey went on to Morehouse College in Georgia, got his degree, got married to his high school sweetheart. Price to say yes. All the time there's a price to say yes, but there's also a price to say no. Maybe you'll lose friends. I was talking with somebody yesterday who said, I'm I'm not hanging out with the guys that used to do drugs anymore. And slowly as I, I distance myself from them, man, they're, they're, they're not, I'm not cool with them as much anymore. Sometimes you have to do that. Five seconds of awkward for the sake of a lifetime of, of saving yourself from regrets. I remember a, a couple that used to uh, come to our church named Josh and Samina. And Josh was working uh, in this company. And one Friday night, they were given these great t- uh, tickets for their entire family to go watch Orlando City Soccer during their inaugural season, one of their first games. I said, well, your whole family can go have a Friday night out, hundreds of dollars. And so it wasn't necessarily five seconds, but Josh and Samina were talking about it. What should we do? Just so happened that that Friday was Good Friday, the day that we Christians remember the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. I said, it would be great for the kids to go to that soccer game. And Samina said, but what would they think if we went that My parents think that soccer is more important than worshiping Jesus on the day we remember his death. So they said, okay, we're going to go to church. It's an easy decision, actually. 
there was a small price to be paid. Maybe it meant that there was some ramifications, stuff that happened at work. But the reality was that five seconds of awkward was so much better because of the lesson that I was communicating to the kids. See, every time God provides a way out of sin, there's always a way out of sin. And when you need it, my God, you will not delay my refuge and strength. Always. His promise is true. God will come through. There's never a time where you said in your life or you will say in your life that I had to sin. Never. Because the promise of God is that I won't give you more than you can bear and there will always be a way out of it. And here's the thing. Though there's a price, when we say no to temptation, God always always, always honors that decision. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. God says, I will honor those who honor me. But is that not enough for you to say no? Man, that for me, like, man, every temptation, I want to be honored by God. I want to honor God. I want to do what God wants me to do because he's going to honor me. Because every time we honor God, here's what happens. We remind him of his son, Jesus, who in Hebrew says he resisted sin to the point of shedding his blood. If there is a price to be paid to say no to temptation, then Jesus Christ has already paid that price for us. And because of what he's done, because of what he's done, when we look to Jesus, when we think temptation versus Jesus, the beauty of the temptation versus the beauty of Jesus, it's a no-brainer. If Jesus did all of that for me, then why would I give in to these lesser loves? Yeah, they're pleasurable, but the pain lasts a lifetime where the pain of following Jesus does last for a second, but the pleasure of following Jesus is eternal. Anytime you're confronted with that temptation, here's your five-second rule. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the beauty of the one who hung on the tree for you and think, if that is my God, then nothing that I say, nothing that I give up is too much for me to offer to him. Because when we see in light of Jesus, then these temptations begin to lose their luster. Have you ever had an experience like this? You find this amazing orange juice at Publix. This is the best orange juice I've ever had in my life. It's so sweet. It's so delicious. And so you buy all, a whole bunch of this orange juice, and you've got it, and you're drinking it, and you're so, man, this orange juice is the best ever. And then one day, you decide, I'm going to drink some orange juice for breakfast a little bit later, but first, I'm a little bit late, so I should brush my teeth first before I eat breakfast. So you brush your teeth your mouth is feeling all minty, all clean. You're really excited, and then you drink this orange juice. All of a sudden, the orange juice, which was once so sweet, has all of a sudden become so bitter. Why? Because your palate has been changed because your palate has been cleansed. When our hearts are changed, when our hearts are cleansed, by the cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus, our hearts begin to change. That which used to be sweet now become bitter in the face and in the light of Jesus. Here's your deal. When Jesus is sweet, 
temptation will become bitter. And it's only when he's sweet that we'll lose our acquired taste for sin. We can choose him. When you're tempted, remember Jesus. There's always a way out. Let's pray. Let's, let's take a minute right now just to pray before our Lord God. Guys, it is a universal experience that we will be tempted by things, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, here's the reality. We will all be tempted by things that we know are not morally right. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, there will be something that assails your marriage and woos and beckons you. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, there will be something that lures you away from the things that you know to be moral and upright. And if you are a follower of Jesus, temptations don't disappear. In fact, they become stronger when we begin living a life to follow the Lord Jesus. So let's pray. Let's make some decisions. You know the temptations that you are susceptible to falling into more than others. And what are those things? Let's be honest about them right now. Let's be real about them right now in prayer. God knows them already, but when you confess them, they begin to lose their power. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you feel like, you know what? I may not be a Christian, but I know the power of these temptations. And I don't want to bankrupt my future by giving in to them. If that's you, I want to invite you, man. Jesus, guys, Jesus Christ is standing at your door of your heart saying, if, if you let me come in, I will change your life. I will change your life, and life will no longer be the same again. Your values, your visions will change, and you'll gain strength to overcome the things of this world. So let's, uh, let's just begin to pray. Again, prayer is just talking to God. Let's steal our hearts for battle against temptation. Let's move towards God and say, Lord, I need you. I'm in need of your grace. I'm in need of your help. I'm in need of your mercy. Let's pray for a couple moments right now, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender to the Lord God. Let's do that. Let's talk to God just a couple moments, and then we'll, we'll continue on. in your spiritual life, your spiritual journey, your relationship with God. But maybe uh, some of us are here and we have not yet uh, begun a relationship with God. When Jesus paid, uh, died on the cross for us, he paid the price for every wrong that we had ever done. And he became a bridge whereby we can cross over from death to life from separated from God 
to join with God. And maybe some of us are here and we have not yet begun a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Maybe we're at that place and you hear the songs and you hear the message and you're thinking, I need Jesus in my life. I want to begin a relationship with Him by faith. It is as simple as acknowledging that I am a person who has fallen into temptation. I have sinned. I've done wrong. But Jesus never did. The only person never scandalized by his own failures. But in my place, the perfect one died for the imperfect so that I might have the reward of only one who was perfect, a relationship with God and an eternity with him in heaven. As we pray to the Lord God, if you feel like I need Jesus in my life, I need him to change my life, I need him to take the reins, the steering wheel of my life so that I might be led to a place of life and hope and health. I can't lead my own life. I've failed so many times, but I need Jesus. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you just to think about that and to open your heart up to him. Maybe you're here today because God has a message for you and he wants to come in. He wants to enter into your heart. Maybe in a, in a few seconds, I just want to give an invitation. If that's describing you, you know what? You're right. I need Jesus in my life. Just a few moments while we continue to talk to God. Just a few moments in a couple seconds. I just want to give that invitation. And all you'll need to do is just raise your hand from where you are so that I can see you and we can just have a conversation after our worship service is done to help you to understand what the message of Christianity is. But let's pray together. And if you feel like, you know what? Yeah, I need Jesus in my life. I've been coming to church all my life and I realize I need Jesus. Or maybe I've been coming to church for a month and I realize, man, I need Jesus in my life. As we continue to pray right now, if that describes you, you just indicate that by raising your hand before the Lord see you and we can uh, pray together. Okay, thank you. See you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. In the back, you can put your hand down. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to yeah, take control, to be my master, to be my God. Yeah. I know that there's an eternity and if I don't have Jesus, man, I don't know where I'm going to be. Actually, you can just raise your hand. There's, yeah, praise God. I can't see you. See up here. There's a couple folks that have uh, raised their hand right now. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So it's what our God wants to do, right? To bring people to himself. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why don't we do this? Why don't we, just for the sake of those people who have raised their hands, can you just repeat this prayer? repeat this prayer and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I'll just pray it and and just pray this, make it your own, internalize it in your heart. Father in heaven, thank you that you have loved me. I confess that I have made a mess because of my choices. And I've hurt myself and I've hurt others. And most of all, I've hurt you. And I realize that left to myself, I will only continue to hurt myself and bring about pain. I realize there's always a price to be paid when I give in to temptation. But I thank you 
that God, you provided a way out. And the ultimate way out was your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he did that. And I believe that he died on the cross for me. So Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my forgiver and be my new master. I surrender to you. Help me to be the person that you want me to be. Thank you so much. Father, we pray for those who've made that decision to put their trust in you. Through your son, Jesus, I pray that you would honor their confession and you would cause them to live for you, that you would strengthen all of us, whether we've made that decision or not, that you would draw us nearer to your heart so that we might walk with you faithfully. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.